So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, you can either turn or click to with me. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 is where we're going to be this week, Jan. And, we, we've, uh, and, and so we're going to start in verse 18, and we'll back up. Anyway, uh, we'll, we'll get there. And so uh, we've been in this series called The First Church. And we've been looking at the first four chapters of the book of Acts. And we've been taking the, the birth of the church, the, the first church, and we've been taking their principles and beginning to learn how to apply it into our context, into our time. And so over the last several weeks, I took a break last weekend and Pastor Tom preached, but over the last several weeks, we've been talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And for some of you, this is, this is like new information to you, and this is maybe the first time that you've walked through the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Uh, for some of us, we, we've encountered the Holy Spirit, or we understand the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, that the, the Holy Spirit is more than a doctrine. The Holy Spirit is a person, third part of the Trinity. And so this morning, I'm going to talk to you one more time about the, the Holy Spirit, and then next week we'll be back into Acts chapter, chapter 4 as we journey through that. And so let me, let me just talk to you this morning about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And so maybe some of you were raised in a church like I was to where, honestly, when I or wasn't raised, when I met Christ and went into the church, uh, we, we never, listen, we never talked about the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we, never, we never, ever talked about the Holy Spirit. I mean, the only time really we talked about the Holy Spirit is like when we're reading in Scripture and we had to mention it, and it's mentioned a lot in, in the book of Acts. And so, but, but really and truly, we, we, we were clear on God and we were clear on Jesus, but, but we, we weren't open to the Holy Spirit because some of it was we were worried about the excesses in, in, in Christianity, right? And so uh, I, my, my church that, that, that I was in at that time uh, kind of reminded me Remember, you remember, uh, remember the song American Pie? Uh, in fact, is I believe the only kind of music is classic rock. Everything else is junk. And so, uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, I won't say anything about country and western music because I always get emails because you guys obviously love country and western music. And so, uh, so someone always sends me an email about country and western music. And so you guys are passionate for that. And so anyway, so remember American Pie. And all of a sudden, uh, Don McLean is singing that song. And all of a sudden, he names, he names the, the, the three men that he admired the most. And so he names every person of the Trinity. And he gets to the end, and he even names like the Holy Ghost. And then so that it would rhyme, he said the Holy Ghost. And he says, and they left on a train to the coast, right? And so my church kind of believed that the Holy, Sp Holy Ghost got on a train and went to the coast. And so we don't talk about him anymore. And so that was kind of the church that I was in. And so, so one of the things that I love about our church is that we come from all different backgrounds. We come from all different ethnic backgrounds. We come from all different social backgrounds. We come from all different spiritual backgrounds. And so whatever your spiritual background is, all I'm asking you to do is, could we just be open to the role and, and to what the Scripture says about, about the Holy Spirit? I mean, could we be open to, to the, that the Holy Spirit is more than a doctrine? He is a person. And just because uh, we walk in the fullness of the Spirit doesn't mean things have to get strange and doesn't mean things have to get weird. And so I've entitled this message, The Spirit-Filled Church, which for some of you, when you saw that title, if it could have caused you like to tense up, like, oh, no, what is going to go on now? And so I just want to walk through the Scripture. So Paul talks in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and Paul begins talking about the role of the Holy Spirit. And so here's what the Scripture says, and then I'm going to ask three questions and answer them for you this morning. And so this is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. He said, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, 
but be filled with the Spirit. So this is a negative imperative or a negative command and then a positive command. In other words, this is something that you don't do and this is something that you should do. And we're going to understand that because it's fascinating how Paul brings out this, this parallel. And so he goes on, verse 19, and so now he starts talking about how to be filled in the Spirit. And he says, addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence of Christ. So the three questions that I think we need to ask and answer this morning is this, is what is the filling of the Spirit? What is the filling of the Spirit that Paul talks about? When is the filling of the Spirit? And then how are we filled with the Spirit? So those three questions, and listen, I know this morning is more theology, it's more doctrine, and it's more of a technical sermon that I normally do. And so, uh, but let's just walk through this together. So the first question is this, what is the, what is the filling of the Holy Spirit? And so Paul starts off, and he says, don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That word filled in the Greek means to be permeated. It means to be consumed with. It means to be, uh, uh, it means to, in, in, it, to, to be in every part of, like, like your being. I mean, the fact is, one of the ways that it's easy to, to try to understand definitions of, of words in Scripture is to do a word study. In other words, walk through wherever the word filled is used in the New Testament. Just walk through and start looking at that definition. That will help you uh, to get a definition, a working definition of, of that word filled. Here's a place that it appears. It, places, it appears many places in, 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 in the, the New Testament. Luke chapter 4, verse 28. Here's where it appears. When they heard these things in all the synagogue... Uh, were filled with wrath. In other words, they were filled with anger. In other words, anger, wrath consumed them, permeated them. Have you, have you ever walked through a time and maybe you've been, maybe someone has hurt you and you've been angry at a person or an object and all of a sudden you were angry at that individual and as a result of being angry at that individual, you couldn't isolate your feelings, you couldn't isolate your anger and all of a sudden you became consumed by your anger? That ever happened to you? Don't say it out loud. But And if the person sitting next to you, don't nudge them at this point. And so... But have you ever been like consumed with that to where you could not isolate out your anger, your feelings? You ever been driving on I-25, right? That's a good illustration. I mean, we've all experienced that where someone cut us off or rode our bumper or whatever, and they were aggressive, and then we get, and then all of a sudden you are having a good day, and then all of a sudden because of their actions and because of what they did, all of a sudden you were like, you could not, you could not isolate out your anger, your frustration. Your whole day is now destroyed. Your whole day is now consumed with, that, with thinking about that person on I-25. This is what Paul is talking about. Have you ever had physical pain? Have you ever had physical pain that, that whether you rolled an ankle or broke an arm, and even though the, the injury was to a particular part of your body, but that pain filled your whole body, right? And so that's what he's talking about. He's talking about this issue that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it totally permeates, permeates everything. It totally consumes you. And so this is what Paul says. And Paul says, so as a result of that, don't be drunk with wine. In other words, don't be controlled with something else. Be controlled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with, with, with the Spirit. In other, words, when, when, in other words, when you get to that place to where, to where you're, you're, you're filled with, with wine or you're filled with alcohol, alcohol, listen, alcohol doesn't just affect one area of your body, right? It affects your, it affects your entire body. 
When, when you're filled with wine, when you're filled with alcohol, uh, your mind is affected, your speech is affected, the, your reflexes are affected. In fact, is a simple blood test will, will tell us that your body is totally consumed, totally filled with, with alcohol. And so when, when, you, when you're filled with alcohol, it, it affects everything, right? It affects the way you think. It affects the way you feel. It, it affects the way you look at the future. It affects the, the way that you react to some situation. It, reflect, it affects your, your, your coordination or your reflexes. It, it, it affects... It can even affect your life in such a way that things that once bothered you like no longer bother you. And so this is what it means to be, be permeated. So, so this is where it's kind of similar. This is what it means to be permeated like with the Holy Spirit. To, well, it affects everything about you. This issue of alcohol, and it's kind of similar, uh, reminds me of a story to help illustrate this, is back in 1997. And so in 97, uh, Charles Colson who Charles Colson, in case you don't know who he is, he's deceased now, but Charles Colson was like the architect uh, of the, the Whitewater, uh, Watergate, I'm sorry, of Watergate in, in the Nixon administration. Charles Colson was found guilty. He goes to jail. In jail, he has this dramatic encounter with God. He meets Christ. Uh, he gets out and he starts ministering to other inmates. He gets out of jail and he starts this prison ministry, this na national wide prison ministry. And so he had a close friend by the name of Bill Bright. Now, Bill Bright had started Campus Crusade for Christ. And so those two guys one day are praying and they decided that God is leading them uh, to bring in a bunch of religious leaders from all over the U.S., about 150, and have three days of prayer and fasting in, in Los Angeles. And so for some odd reason, uh, I was on the list. And so I was invited to fly into LAX and, and to, to, to spend three days there with, with, with 150 religious leaders from across America and to simply pray and fast for, for our country and the church and all these other things. And so I was flying from, from Denver to LAX. And this is, I mean, this is, listen, this is like, this is like the dinosaur age of, of flying, right? Uh, it was pre-9-11. Uh, the rules in flying were totally different than they are today. If you flew during those times, you know that. And so we were flying to LAX, and so we're trying, we're getting to LAX, and I'm telling you, we were fighting thunderstorm after thunderstorm. It was one of the roughest flights that I'd ever been on. I mean, I literally thought, we're going to lose, we are going to die up here. And so we get close to LAX, and so the, the pilot comes over the intercom and says, hey, everybody, uh, we're, we are, we're being delayed into LAX. Uh, because, of the, because of the severity of the storms and the high winds, we're simply going to climb to a higher elevation where, it's, where we can find some smooth air. We're going to circle LAX for about an hour uh, because that's only the fuel. I have, I have fuel for only about an hour and a half, and so we're going to circle LAX for an hour. We're hoping that the storm is going to pass through, and then once it passes through, we're going to land. If, if, if it doesn't pass through, we're, we're going to have to land. And so, uh, and so we climbed to where it got, got smooth air, and then all of a sudden, I don't know why airlines think this was a good idea in those days, but they obviously did. The pilot comes back on and says, hey, good news, everybody. We found some smooth air. I'm going to push the button to where, you know, the, the no seatbelt deal. And so as a result of that, the beverage cart is going to come by, and everybody gets two free drinks, alcohol for everybody. And so they thought that was a good idea in those days. And so all of a sudden, you know, and I'm telling you, I mean, people are afraid at this point. Even the men are crying. I mean, men are crying. Women are crying. There is deep fear. Everybody thinks they're going to die. And all of a sudden, they, they send this beverage cart down, and it's like two drinks for everybody. And all of a sudden, within 30 minutes, the whole mood of that plane changed. <laughs> 
I'm like, they were once afraid of dying. They're no longer afraid of crashing. I mean, they are singing. They are telling jokes. I mean, it is hilarious. And so I'm just watching this thing. In fact, is the guy sitting next to me, when he saw that I passed on my uh, two drinks, because I'm a pastor, and so uh, when he saw that I passed, he says, hey, ask the stewardess, can I have his? She says, absolutely. So now he has like a pile of liquor. And and so, I mean, everything, everything's beginning to change in the plane. I mean, they're no longer, the things that once bothered them, no longer bother them. I mean, I mean, it like permeated the whole plane. The mood in the plane changed until about after an hour, the pilot comes back on and says, hey, little bit of bad news, everybody. The storm hasn't passed through, and so we're going to have to make a run for it. It's going to get, you know, buckle up, stewardess, you know, prepare for landing and get in your jump seats. And, and so we're going we're gonna to land, that type of deal. And the mood in the plane kind of got tense at that moment, right? And so uh, all of a sudden, my, my buddy sitting next to, to me that I gave all the liquor to, um, he, he turned to me because he knew what I did for a living. He says, you're a pastor, right? And I go, yeah. He says, well, get up and do whatever pastors do. Could you just do something? <laughs> just get up and do whatever pastors do. So, so I got up and took up an offering. And so uh, <laughs> that, that part's a joke. Everything else happened. But that part, that part I, just, I just made up. But yeah. But you know what happened in the plane? All of a sudden, see, this is some of the similarities that Paul is relating to. Paul is relating, so, and there's some differences, and we'll talk about that. But Paul is relating a similarity to this. He says, when, when, you, are filled, when you are filled with the Spirit, all of, a thing, all of a sudden, it permeates every area of your life. It changes everything about you. The things that once bothered you no longer bother you. Why? Because you have confidence in God. The things that once gave you fear no longer give you fear. Why? Because of your confidence, because the Holy Spirit has like permeated every part of your being, every area of your life to where all of a sudden, and all of a sudden he also talks about this issue of boldness to where all of a sudden that you have, fact is you see this, right? Acts chapter 2. Simon Peter, weeks before Pentecost, like denies Christ to like this, this girl around a campfire. And then, then Pentecost comes, and the coming of the Holy Spirit comes. And then all of a sudden, now you see Simon Peter with what? Boldness. I mean, this, this, man, this man is bold, and so he stands up, and he, and he gives the message at Pentecost. And he's like, I mean, it is in your face. It is not seeker-sensitive preaching at all. He says, Jesus, the one you crucified, the one you put on the cross, and just repent and be baptized. You see this issue of boldness all the way through Acts. Acts chapter 4, you find the apostles were brought into like the Sanhedrin that was like the, the, um, the Supreme Court of their day, and they're going to be beaten and flogged for speaking the name of Jesus, and you know what you find? You find boldness. I mean, they, 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 boldness. They, they, they had this unbelievable, towards the end of, of, of Acts chapter 4, you, you see where this, this local church, the Jerusalem church, became so filled with the Spirit that they became bold and they began preaching the message even more with more boldness. Acts chapter 4, verse 13, we'll just read that. He says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were educated, common men, they were, they were astonished. They were shocked, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. In other words, it's this, it's, this, it's this issue to where normal people 
were so filled with the Spirit of God that they were, they were, like, they were, like, they were like bold to where people around them could understand there is something different about this individual. There is something different about this man. There's something different about this, this woman. There's something different about they, the way that they carry out their life, the way that they make decisions. There is just something different about them. Can I just ask you a question? Has, ever, has anyone ever been shocked by your boldness? Has anyone ever been shocked by your boldness about, about how you lived your life? how you've conducted your business affairs, how you've handled your relationships around you. Has anybody ever been looked at you, looked at you and been astonished by your boldness to where, to where you, you treated people with kindness and with love and joy and acceptance, and you, you handled your life totally different than anyone else around you? See, this is what it means. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. This is what it means to understand who Christ is. Listen, I'm telling you, if, if your knowledge of God, if you are growing in your knowledge of God, and you are not growing in your love of people, something is wrong. And something is wrong. We, sh we should grow in both. We should grow in our knowledge of God, and we should grow in our love of people, the people that are around us. And so, so Paul would say there's something similar about this issue about, about wine and, and about the Spirit, but then there, there's also something very different. In other words, this, in, in, in the Spirit, you don't lose control of your mind. You gain control of your mind. And so the, the reason I just feel like i, I got to say this one more time is because I think that's the reason why sometimes people aren't open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit because they've seen the extremes. They've seen the act. The, 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 they've seen that where people have carried this to extremes to where it got emotional, it got, it got strange, or it got weird. In the spirit, you don't lose control of your mind. Fact is, you gain control of your mind. You gain a greater clarity of your mind. And so one of the reasons that I say this, because there is a movement out there, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there is a movement out there that says that you and I, we just need to get drunk, drunk on Jesus and that we'll get drunk, junk on G, drunk on Jesus. <laughs> I'll get it out. I have not been drinking this morning. <laughs> that if you'll just get drunk on Jesus, that you'll lose your mind and you'll lose control. And so you can go into those types of churches, right? And it is chaos. People are running laps and carrying flags and streamers and people are like rolling in the aisles and rolling in the floors. And, and it is just, it is, it is, and that is not an exaggeration. And so it is just literally chaos. And, and, and so, and they would tell you, well, that's the evidence of the filling of the spirit that people lose control of their mind and they lose control of their body. And I believe that's what causes a lot of people not to be open to the Holy Spirit because they've seen it portrayed in an unbalanced, for, in an unbalanced form. And, and so fact is, Paul, just real quickly, Paul, when he was talking to the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church, totally out of control. Totally out of control. In fact, is chaos is going on. People are, people, it's, it's, it's disorderly. It's out of control. People are running laps. People are running on the floor. People are jumping up and screaming stuff and interrupting the worship and interrupting the preaching. And I mean, it is chaos. And so, so Paul speaks into that church and he says, hey, listen, he says, when non-believers come into your congregation and that kind of stuff is going on, he says, you know what? They think you've lost your ever-loving mind. I mean, it is just like confusing to them. And he doesn't mean that as a compliment. He means that as criticism, right? And then he comes down to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40. And so he, he gives a definition. He gives a working definition 
of what a spirit-filled church looks like. In case you're looking for that in Scripture, he says, but all things should be done decently and in an order. Drunk people can't do anything decently in order, right? And so the Holy Spirit doesn't make your... Listen, the Holy Spirit is different than alcohol. Like, the Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't make you lose your mind. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you lose control. Can I just tell you this? We, we just need to talk about this this morning. The Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't numb your, your pain. The fact is you gain greater control of your mind. You gain a greater understanding of who God is. In, in the spirit where it's different than alcohol, in the spirit, you are not deadened to your circumstances. You're awakened to your circumstances. Alcohol deadens you to your circumstances. It numbs you to your pain, and that's why some people like it. But to, but to dull the pain... It has to dull everything about you. It can't just affect one area. And so, when, and so you become less alive instead of more alive. And so Paul says, just back up, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, 15. He says, look, care, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be fit, foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the, with the Spirit. In other words, he's live, live a life carefully, live a life wise, live a life with, with, with understanding. And so, so in the Spirit, you are not dulled to, to the pain. You're awakening. Listen, you are awakened to something better. That God is greater than your pain. Your heart is not protected and your heart is not shielded from, from pain. Your heart is open to the beauty of Jesus Christ in the midst of your pain. One of the reasons or one of the, one of the most common compliments I get about my preaching is this, is that we like your preaching because you're transparent and honest and authentic. We like your preaching because you never preach at us. You never preach down to us. We, and, and some of that is because of my belief in the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit does all the heavy lifting. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings people to Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one that leads and guides people. And so as a result of that, it is not, listen, it is not my job to, 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 to try to guilt you into something, to try to talk down to you. Because have you ever been in those sermons where, or those services to where it seems like the preacher is like up here and you're like, you know, you're like some dirty, rotten sinner and you'll never like achieve that? And so here, here's what I believe. I don't, I don't preach at you. Uh, I preach with you. We're in this together. And so when I preach, you know what I'm doing? I am preaching to us. And I'm one of the us's, if that's a word. Uh, I'm from Texas. We make up words all the time. <laughs> and so, and so I'm, I'm one of the, I'm, I'm one of you. And so what we do on the weekends when we gather, we gather together and we worship and we, we pray, and we open up the scriptures, and we allow the, the scriptures to speak to each and every one of us. And, and I'm included of that. And so I've walked, listen, I've walked through, like many of you, I've walked through some very hurtful and painful circumstances. 
I've walked through some circumstances to where I didn't even know if I was going to make it. And I've walked through those circumstances and I've had pain and I've had hurt and I've had difficult circumstances and I'm filled with all of these, these questions. And, and, and God, God did not take away the pain, but he did something that was better. He showed me the attributes of God in the midst of my pain. He showed me the attributes of God or the beauty of Christ that meets you in the midst of your pain. And I've talked to you about this, this when you understand the fullness of the Spirit is when the Spirit makes the attributes of God come alive to you. To where you understand that the attributes of God, that God is bigger than your pain. God is bigger than your circumstances. God is bigger than your hurt. To where you're in, that, you're in that wilderness, maybe we could explain it that way, and you're in that wilderness and you're wondering if you can make it and you have this hurt and you have these doubts and you have the, all of this stuff that's, that's, that's going and all of a sudden in the midst of that, all of a sudden the attributes of God become alive to you and you realize, you know what, the scripture is true. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. In the midst of my pain, to where you realize the scripture is true, that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. To where you go through those times and you maybe doubt some things about your life and, and his, his spirit bears witness with your spirit and you realize that I am totally and completely forgiven. I am deeply loved by him. I am perfect and I'm complete and I'm lacking nothing. See, listen, I'm telling you, it is a beautiful thing because sometimes he does take away the pain and sometimes he does take away the circumstances. But other times he makes the attributes of God become alive to you to where you realize for the very first time that God is greater than your hurt and God is greater than your pain. It's where you learn that God may not always live up to your expectations, but he will always live up to his word. He was always live up to his word. He always will live up to what he says in scripture. And so you understand these things, the goodness of, of God, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And there is something greater sometimes than the taking away of the pain and the circumstances. The second question is this, is, is when are we filled with the spirit? I mean, when does this happen? So if we have the Holy Spirit, then when are we filled? And listen, and you know, depending on your background, there's a little bit of differences in this. We'll, we'll try to help you understand just what the Scripture says. Uh, Paul, again, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So what Paul begins to tell us, there is only one baptism, but repeated fillings. In other words, be filled is like this, this present imperative, which means it means continual. Fact is, if you read that correctly in the, in the Greek, if you'd put that verse back up there, uh, the, the verse says, the verse says, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, it, it's hard to understand because in, in, in English, there's only three tenses. In Greek, there's like, there's like nine tenses. And so, so sometimes that's hard to relate, to, to translate to English. And so it says, but be filled with the Spirit. In the Greek, that's a present uh, imperative that simply means has continual action. It's something that continually happens. If you read that in the Greek, it should say, but be being filled. Now, it just doesn't read good in English, right? But that's what the Greek says, but be being filled. In other words, it's this continual action. There's one baptism, but there's repeated fillings of the, of the Spirit. And so here's what the scripture says, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, talking about one baptism. 
He says, for in one spirit, we're all baptized in one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to, to drink from one, of one spirit. In other words, it was the spirit of God that, that, that came into your life at salvation and took away your sin and baptized you into the body of Christ. So there's one baptism, Ephesians 1.13. Watch this. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed in the promise of the Holy Spirit. So when, you, when did you have the Holy Spirit? When you were sealed? At salvation. When you met him. Titus 3.5. He saved us. Talking about salvation. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing and the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So again, the picture. You had the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. 1 Corinthians 12.3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus accursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9, one last one. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So what he's saying is this. If you haven't been baptized in the Spirit then you don't belong to Jesus. You're not a Christian. And that happens at the moment. That happens at the moment of salvation. And so there's some people that will say some things like, well, wait a minute. I, I, I felt like that I accepted Christ here. And then somewhere over here, I, I, all of a sudden, baptism of the Holy Spirit, I, I, I got the Holy Spirit. I, I met Christ here, and I got the Holy Spirit over here. Paul would say that's impossible because Paul says you are baptized in the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. You get all the Holy Spirit that you're going to get. And then it's learning to appropriate the Holy Spirit, uh, walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your Christian life. That's part of it. So in my case, I met Christ here. I had the Holy Spirit. I had all of the Holy Spirit that I was ever going to get. And someone over here, all of a sudden, I started learning about this issue of the Holy Spirit. And I learned how to appropriate or walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit or, walk, or how to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. And so some people will look at the book of Acts and say, well, wait a minute. I, I, think, I, I think I see some people groups in Acts to where all of a sudden it seems like they met Christ here and they got the Holy Spirit here. Well, see, when, when, the, when the book of Acts started out, the Holy Spirit resided in the temple in one place. And then Pentecost, and so you'll see this through all the different pen, uh, people groups in, in the book of Acts. So then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came to the Jews, Acts chapter 2. And you see the laying on hands, and you see the spreading of tongues. And so all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spread to, to the Jews. And then, then Acts chapter 8, all of a sudden, the Samaritans, they got like their Pentecost experience. And so and then, then you see again, you say Acts chapter 8 to the Samaritans, the laying on hands, the spreading of tongues. And this was to, to validate to the, to the Jews that the gospel was for the Gentiles, that the gospel was to all people. And you see that again, the laying on hands and the spreading of tongues. Acts chapter 10, guess what? The gospel spreads to the Gentiles. And then you see it again when it goes to that people group. You see the same thing. Acts chapter 19, again, you see that. And it's to the, to the followers of John the Baptist. And you see the same thing again. And so you and I, when you meet Christ, you don't have to be obsessed with whether you have the Spirit or not. The Scripture says that we have the Spirit and that there's repeated fillings of the Holy Spirit. So the last question is this, is how are we filled of the Spirit? I mean, how are we filled? 
So if you tell us that we get the Spirit at salvation, then how are we continually filled? So again, we'll read this and we'll answer that and we'll close. Verse 18, he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of the reverence of Christ. So how, how are we filled? That's the question. The first thing is this, is you have to pay attention to the interior of your life uh, in silence and solitude. You have to pay attention to the interior of your life. That's why life journaling, that's why reading scripture is so important, that God still speaks today. God is a speaking God, and God still speaks today. And primarily the way that God speaks to us is what? Is through his word. And so that's why it's so important a filling of the Spirit comes when we begin reading his word. I don't, I don't know if you, if, you, if you life journal with us. Uh, we life journal through, through, through the, the, the entire Bible every year. Uh, we read through the New Testament twice, the Old Testament once. And all it is is just opening up Scripture and allowing God to speak to us directly from his word. A couple of weeks ago, I think it was, or a week ago, we were life journaling through the book of, of, of Galatians. And Galatians talks a lot about the flesh versus the spirit. And he's talking about the spirit. And then all of a sudden, you, you come to this verse where, where Paul said, it doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. What matters is if you're being transformed. And so Paul's making this distinction. And he said, it doesn't matter if you're religious or not. What matters is, are you being transformed? Are you being transformed? In other words, spirit-filled people, the, the indication of that is when love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things become come, are evident in your life and coming out of your life and to where you understand that this is issue about being transformed. And so one of the things that we do is we just we spend time with him privately. We spend time with him daily because the spirit cannot make the attributes of God become alive to you in your pain if you don't know what the attributes of God are. Something else that you, got, you do, you have to be willing to step into Christian community. You have to be willing to step into Christian community, and that's why worship, corporate worship, what we did this morning, it's just so important. Uh, we worship not because of what we feel. We worship God because of what we know. That's why worship is so important when we go through difficult times and we go through those desert experiences. And, and so the, the enemy of being filled with the Spirit is sometimes being, being filled with self. Uh, to where we make life all about ourselves and to where we, we come to the place of what Jesus would talk about in the Sermon on the Mount about this issue of spiritual bankruptcy to where we understand that, Lord, I, man, I, I just need you. Lord I, Lord, I cannot be the husband or the dad that I'm called to be with, without your spirit, without you. And so, Lord, it, it is not about me. It is about me learning to serve my family and serve those around me. And so, Lord, I, I cannot be the husband. I cannot be the worker. I cannot be the father. I cannot be the wife. I cannot be the friend without you. Lord, it is not about my gifts and my abilities. I, Lord, I, I cannot be the pastor you've called me to be without you. They don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. Because when they hear from you, that's what changes everything. And so as a result of that, Lord, I'm going to be totally dependent on you. See, that changes everything. 
when we, when we approach the scriptures in, in our quiet time, whatever you want to call that, in silence and solitude, and when we come to the scriptures in desperation and say, God, we, we, I, just, I just need, I need you to speak to me. I got this problem. I got this situation. I'm walking through this relationship. I don't know how to handle it. God, I need you. It's amazing to me the number of times that God knows exactly where I'm going to be when I open up scripture in the morning and I read it. See, as your pastor, I do that. I am not asking you to do anything that I don't do. There is a time that I actually read scripture, and this is hard for pastors, that I actually read scripture. I'm not writing a sermon. It's for me. It's for my relationship with him. And so we come to that place, and, 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 then, and then another thing that we have to do, we have to learn to get out of our, get out of our comfort zone to where we start asking ourselves, God, am I, am I living life faithfully? Am I living life faithfully to you? Am I, am I walking in step with the Spirit? See, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 tells us that, that if we're not careful, we can quench the Spirit. We can quench what God is, wants to do in our life. I one of the easiest ways that I, I remember that, because quench, the definition of the word quench means to throw water on a fire. And so you, you remember that, right? When we've talked about the Holy Spirit, one of the signs of the Holy Spirit was, was, was fire. Uh, in the Old Testament, fire represented God. In the New Testament, fire represents God. And so there's something you have to do to throw on it. And so it kind of reminds me whenever we have the grandkids down is usually in the evenings we go out back and, and we have a fire pit and I, I, I make this fire. And so, you know, they're always wanting to use the axe. I'm like, no, you never get to use the axe and you're dangerous. And so, so we, we like build this fire. And so, but their, their attention span is very, very short. And so uh, usually once they got their s'mores, they're like done with the fire. That's really the only reason they're out there. And so now it's just me and the fire because everybody else is all hyped up on sugar. They're back in the house going nuts. And so now then I'm trying to keep the fire from spreading out of, like out of control. And so I have to take a bucket of water and I throw that bucket of water. I have to do something to put the fire out. And so one of the ways that, that we cannot walk in the spirit is to where we, where we quench the spirit. I mean, have you ever had a prompting and you ignored it? You ever gotten in an argument with someone and you said something you shouldn't have said? You, 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 I mean, things got heated and you said something you shouldn't have said and then you walk away, you have this prompting. And it's like, hey, go apologize. You need to go apologize. And then you have this running commentary. I'm not going to apologize. They can apologize. They, if they apologize first, then I'll apologize. But I'm not going to apologize. Did you not hear what, hear, hear what they said? Did you not hear what they did to me? And then all of a sudden you have that running commentary for maybe the rest of the evening. And then the next day you wake up and it's, it's not even on your mind anymore. You quench the spirit. It's gone. You ever had a prompting? Serve. Just serve. And you know it. You know it was real. Just serve. Just find a ministry. Just serve. And all of a sudden, and so I, I, you have this running commentary and say, no, I'll, I'll, like, I'll like pray about it. Listen, more quenching of the Holy Spirit has come because someone says, I have to pray about it first. There's some things you just don't have to pray about, right? And so you have that prompting, and then I'll serve, serve, serve. And then you just, you don't do it. It just throws water on it. In other words, what the scripture says is the Holy Spirit wants to lead you and guide you. And sometimes we have to get out of our comfort zone and just trust him. You ever had that prompting? You ever had that prompting that you listened to? You ever had that prompting to where God put somebody on your heart, was a friend, was a loved one, was someone you go to church with? And, and, and it's like, 
Ah, their name is on my heart. And you send them a text message that I'm praying for you. You call them, and they answer back and say, I cannot believe you just called me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. That is a prompting. of the, And the more you respond to that, the clearer God's voice becomes to you, to where you understand him. There may be some of you in this room, and you say, well, you, I mean, you, you don't understand. You don't understand all that I've done. Through my entire life, I've been quenching the spirit, and I, I don't even know that I'm a Christian. Listen, let me tell you something this morning. Man, God loves you, and God is a forgiving God. And God wants you to come to the place where you can just accept him and start walking with him. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?